John chapter 18, as we continue through our series in the Gospel according to John, we have already studied Jesus' betrayal, His arrest, and now we're ready to study this so-called trial that we'll watch unfold. Remember that alongside the events of this trial is the account of Peter. We took two weeks to discuss the process of being broken and being fully broken, we saw last week with Peter. And because Peter became broken by the Lord and was able to be conformed into the image of Christ, God was going to use his life like never before. And God went on to use Peter in a way that all of us should desire to be used of God. And those who God will use greatly are those who are willing to be broken and conformed into the image of Christ. Sometimes we look at those whom we hold in high esteem, those that we consider great men and women of God, and we look at those and we think, man, if I could just have a little bit of what they've got. But we're only seeing one moment in time. And we're not seeing all that took, went on behind the scenes that led to that person becoming who they are in Christ. I'll guarantee you with every one of them, you'll find there was a process of being broken. There was a process of God conforming them before He used them in the way which we see them being used. They didn't just wake up one day being greatly used by God. It's a process that we all must go through. And many times when one who wants to be used, like the one that we are viewing and we are lifting up and we are holding them in high esteem, when the one who wants to be used in that, when they learn the process that they're going to have to go through, all of a sudden it doesn't sound that appealing. Amen. You mean I've got to go through the breaking process? Yes. You've got to go through the burning process. You've got to go through getting the dross out. God has got to work on you and conform you. And a lot of times when people learn that, no thank you. Amen. A lot of times people want positions. Well, I need you to be faithful. Oh, never mind. Now, you would think that's a joke. That's not. And so we, we have to be willing to go through these things. And I know it's not appealing because it does hurt and it is painful. But people want the end results without going through the refining. People often want the benefits without paying the cost. Well, I hope you're willing to allow God to work on you. I've said it before, but remember, God doesn't paint murals. He chisels. He does not cover you up, but He conforms you and shapes you. He doesn't want something that can be washed off. He wants something that once it's broken off, it's gone. And He wants to keep working on you. So you must learn to give yourself to the process. So for today, we're going to return to these same set of verses, verses 12 through 27. The Bible says in John 18 and verse 12, Then the band and the captain... And officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus 
and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there, who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Are not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. So last week we put the portion of this account of the trial aside so that we could focus on the account of Peter, but this week we're going to move Peter aside and we're just going to focus on the events of this mockery of a trial. And though we have read verse 12 several times as we have gone through this account, I want to look at this one more time to kind of set some background here. It says, Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. So get this picture in your mind, the arrest here that's taking place. Don't forget now, here's these men, they're binding Jesus, they've arrested him. But don't forget back there in verse 6, these are the same men who when Jesus said, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. (laughs) And yet they're still arresting him. Don't forget in Matthew's account that after Peter cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus told Peter, put up your sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? And now we see in verse 12 that the band and the captain and officers of the Jews, they take Jesus, they bind him. And I want you to understand, this is a point that I have to keep bringing up. And another reason I want to revisit this, because i got to keep reiterating this point. I think it's important as we start heading to the cross. Just remember here that this is not them exercising power over Jesus. Jesus is willingly giving himself to this whole process. We must always keep that in mind. He is giving himself over to them. And he's doing so in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And that we might be saved. So while Jesus is bound physically, I want you to understand he's not bound. He's not bound spiritually. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.9, but the Word of God is not bound. We know that's talking about the physical Scriptures, but we also know Jesus is the Word of God. And He cannot be bound. Christ is the Word of God. He cannot be stopped. This is being allowed to happen for our sake. 
These men have no power over Jesus except what He allows. And because Christ came to do His Father's will, He's allowing this to take place. He is willingly giving His life a ransom for many. And we must never lose sight of all of that as we continue through. All that is happening in verse 12 must take place in order that the events of our redemption be put into motion. And never forget, God is all-powerful. Jesus was God in the flesh. So all that's unfolding here is right in line with God's plan, which He had foreordained before the foundation of the world. It's just now the fullness of time. Let me revisit another point as well, because it's important as all this takes place. We see those present who arrest and bind Jesus are made up of those called the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews. Remember, this is a mix of Jew and Gentile. And it's important that we know that. This group, remember, likely numbered into the hundreds that came this night to arrest Jesus. The band and the captain were the Romans. Obviously, the officers of the Jews were the Jews. And so we have this mix here uh, taking place. Why is this the case? Why was it necessary that the Romans also join in on this arrest? Because really, it's the Jews at this point, the religious Jews, that have issue with Christ. Why are the Romans involved? Well, after three and a half years of... Christ preaching and teaching and performing miracles. He had a very large following by this point, as you could imagine. And these religious Jews, they feared an uprising of the people because Jesus' followers incorrectly thought that Christ was going to set up His earthly kingdom at this point. That he was going to come in and he was going to take them out from under Gentile dominance and he was going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And, and so there's a lot going on here. They had, they had thought this was going to happen. And, and it's important to know that because they're not looking for a spiritual deliverance. See, they're not looking for salvation from their sins. They're looking for political deliverance. They're looking for them to have a better life upon this earth is what they're hoping for. They're looking for the glory days of Israel under King David and King Solomon. And and they're looking for this to be reestablished. Of course, their problem really wasn't the Romans. What they failed to recognize was why they were under Roman dominance. Why were they under Gentile dominance as God's people? Because they were in sin. It was because as a nation they had forsaken God. That's why God allowed the Romans to come in and take control of them. And I want to tell you this morning, our problem in America isn't the progressive liberal agenda. You understand just a generation ago that stuff would have never flown in America? Now they're elected officials. Elected officials. And that's not our problem. Even though that's being unleashed on our country, our problem is we've forsaken God and we've allowed sin to run rampant in the land. We say we want God's blessing, but overall we aren't willing to rise up against abortion. Millions have lost their lives. We aren't standing up against the redefining of marriage. We haven't stood up against the redefining of genders. 
And I just want to go on record for those that are genuinely hurt in that area and are seeking, I want to minister to them. I don't know what all they've been propagandized in the school anymore. And so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not coming down on them. I want to minister to them. But listen, we've lost our way as a country. Amen. Amen. And, and so we've, we've kicked God out of our public schools. We've kicked Him out of most of our colleges. We've kicked Him out of our government. We've told the military, you can't pray in Christ's name. And, and we're just in a bad place. Listen, we're not even willing to be right with God on an individual level, much less a governmental level. Why would we expect God to bring us out from under the tyranny which is beginning? We must be willing to recognize the root of the problem. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment begins here. Paul said, If you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. And then he said, If you are judged, you're being judged of the Lord so that He may chastise you. That you're not condemned with the world. You see, when we're, when we're being judged, God is trying to correct us. That's why Paul said, if you'll judge yourself, you'll be fine. You'll correct yourself. No doubt we're in a mess today. No doubt we're being chastened by the Lord, but our problem isn't in politics. That is just the manifestation of a bigger problem that our nation is forsaking God. And now back to our text here, because Jesus has a large following the religious Jews, they fear killing Jesus. They understood the people were astonished at His doctrine. Matthew 21.46 says, But when they, talking about the religious Jews, sought to lay hands on, on Him, speaking of Jesus, they feared the multitude because they took Him for a prophet. Many in Israel did understand that Jesus was the prophet that Moses had said would come. And many of them were following the Lord. They may not have understood it all, but they, were, they, they had an interest in Him and they were following Him. And because of Jesus' popularity, the religious Jews, they're going to have to devise a way to put Jesus to death without causing an uprising of the people. Luke 22, 2 says, And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Him, for they feared the people. Matthew 26, verses 3 through 5 then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the place of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill Him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they're terrified of the people. They don't want to have blood on their hands, if you will, because the people might rise up against them and this was their livelihood. So what's the best way ahead for the council to have Jesus condemned to death? Well, Rome had removed the right for capital punishment from Israel. You can see that at the end of verse 31. There would be these spontaneous stonings that would take place where someone would die. We see that with Stephen's, Stephen in the book of Acts where they stone him to death. But when it came to trial and prosecuting somebody, uh, Rome had instituted their policies. And so Israel, Judea, maybe I should, they need to go through Rome's process in order to get Jesus condemned guilty uh, and, and needing to die. And the reason that they are adamant that Jesus die is because, and I want you to get this, this is important as you think about it all, the reason why they want Jesus dead 
is because the religious Jews then, as well as today, believed and still believe that the Messiah could not die, that He was going to be victorious, that He was going to set up the kingdom. That's what the Messiah, in their mind, there was no death. There was no dying for sin. And when you read Luke 24 and the two are walking back after Jesus had just resurrected, they're walking back after the events that have taken place at the cross and, and Jesus, they don't know it's Him, Jesus walks up to them and they're having a discussion along the way and they, they tell Jesus, they said, well, we thought this man was going to be the one who was going to establish the kingdom. And it didn't make sense in their minds. It wasn't just the religious Jews, but it was all of, of Judea had this mindset that if the Messiah comes... He's not going to die, but He's going to be victorious. He's going to bring in the kingdom. They didn't understand the victory that we're talking about, that you and I understand today. And so they want Jesus dead because if they can put Jesus to death, it would prove in their minds that Jesus was a fraud. The council has to be very careful on how they pull all of this off because they know if there's a major uprising of the people, then the Romans are going to come in in full force and they're going to put down the uprising and they may very well take away their nation. That's what the Bible says in John eleven forty eight. 48. The council said, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So they're concerned about having their nation intact no matter what's at stake. And therefore, the council, they really need the Romans to be complicit in all of this. The problem is, Rome isn't going to kill a man who claims to be the Son of God because that's no threat to the nation. Okay, there's some wacko thinking he's the Son of God. What does that do to Rome? And so they're not going to kill a man for that. And Jesus didn't really possess that kind of threat anyway. You'll remember, Jesus said, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He wasn't an enemy of Rome. But the Romans would kill you if they perceived you were a threat. The Jewish council will have to present Jesus to the governor, Pontius Pilate, as being guilty of sedition against Rome in order for Jesus to be condemned to death. That's why when Jesus, we'll see later in this chapter, that's why when He appears before Pontius Pilate, what is the one thing that Pilate zeroes in on? Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you a threat to Rome? And of course, the problem the council has, they have no proof of Jesus being seditious. They had some other roadblocks that they're going to have to work around. Under the Roman government, in order for capital punishment, a man had to be found guilty in two trials, at least two trials. And there had to be a day in between each of those trials. They could not occur on the same day. In addition, under Jewish law, you are not supposed to be tried at night. So that was their own law. So there is a lot they're going to have to hastily do. They're going to have to run this through in the cover of darkness in order to pull this off, to get this done without the people uprising. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but see some eerie similarities between what's taking place in this chapter and what took place in our nation after our election. I don't know where you stand and I'm not here to fight with you, but something fishy happened the night of November 3rd and the morning of November the 4th under the cloak of darkness. 
I'm not going to be too political this morning. Aren't you happy? <laughs> I'll leave that for you to ponder, but you'll never convince me personally that there's not something up. I also know this, Satan uses the same tactics over and over again because they work. And it just seems very similar. Satan's in the mix. Well, I'll leave that alone. So Jesus, He's going to be found guilty before the council. And what they're going to do to get around some of this, they're going to use a technicality on the timing. They're going to arrest Him, try Him. During the, during the night, at daybreak, he'll have another trial, a day in between. They are going to just force this through really in a matter of hours and not the amount of time that it really deserves. To prevent the insurgence of the people, they had to arrest Jesus in a private place in the dark of night. They need to get him alone well, the disciples forsook him and fled. They need to get him alone. And they're going to need an insider to pull this off, which we've already studied as Judas Iscariot in the opening verses of this chapter. So everything's coming together here uh, for this to be pulled off. Now, with that as a background, as a teaching background, Jesus is arrested and bound, and he is then led away to Annas in verse 13. But in reality, who's leading who? Amen. Jesus is in complete control. So he's taken to Annas. We know the disciples were baffled at this turn of events because like I've already said, they expected Jesus, there was no way he was going to die. He was going to bring in the kingdom. He was going to restore Israel. But the reality is, and, and get this, we don't always know what, Jesus, what God is up to. It may not make sense to us what's happening in our country right now. But I'll promise you God's in control. Yeah, I don't doubt for a second that somewhere the devil's in the details, but I know this, my God will prevail. And it'll be worked out for His glory and our good. You say, well, it might mean we get uncomfortable. Maybe that's what we need. And so we don't always know what God is up to, but we know He's in complete control. Now, who is this Annas? Why is he involved in this process? Annas was a former high priest. He was the father of former high priest, and he is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest. Do you smell corruption? Because listen, the high priest was supposed to be a lifetime appointment. Annas, we understand him to be like the godfather. He's a man of great influence without holding an office. Because the system in Israel, it's become completely corrupt. Under Roman control, the office of the high priest had become a position you can get and you can retain out of bribery. Who's the highest bidder? So the high priest then would have to placate to the Romans while also trying to please the Jews. But it didn't work. When you read about Annas in Jewish history, you'll find they hated Annas because he was so corrupt. He was taken the extortion of the Romans, putting that against Israel. And he, all the time, he's trying to balance this with his position. It'll never work. He chose money over godliness. Annas, he had been deposed by the Romans, but he had set up a system where he could retain power by having those beneath him in power. 
his sons. Amen? That's why I have three sons. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't find exactly, but it sounds like there were either four or five of his sons that ended up being high priest. And we find now he's got his son-in-law being the high priest. And so it's really not an understatement to refer to Annas as the godfather. He is such a powerful figure that if he thinks it's so, you better think it's so also. And so there was so much corruption because there was so much money being made by those in power. Always follow the money. And remember that the temple system had become very corrupt. They were, people would come in all over like we see on the day of Pentecost. There was some, what, 13 languages we find there. There were people from all over that, that come to these annual feasts. And so they have monetary, they have money from different countries. And when they come to the temple, what, what they did in their corruption is they set up a temple currency. And that temple currency then had to be exchanged. You had to take your Italian money, let's say, and you had to take it to the temple. If you needed to buy a sacrifice, you couldn't use that money. You had to exchange it for temple money. Well, they get you on the exchange rates. Amen. Then if you did bring a sacrifice and the, and the, the priest looks it over and he goes, sorry, that one's blemished. You need to go buy one of our sacrifices. Then they made money by sacrifices. So this was a very corrupt thing. And they were making all this money off of this. Which is why in John chapter 2, what do we find Jesus doing? The Bible says, And Jesus found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when He had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And so what had happened essentially was that Jesus had upset the mafia's prophets. And you can bet the godfather Annas was waiting for an opportunity to get his revenge. Now he has it. Well, we don't know what was said when Jesus was before Annas. But obviously, Annas gave his blessings for the, the events of this night to proceed. Now, verse 24 is written after the fact, so I'm going to read that real quick. Um, it says there, Jesus had been sent bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. That's just informational to let us know after the fact that verses 19 through 23 actually happened after Jesus left Annas and was standing before Caiaphas. So just so you know that, I get that out of the way. So he's now before... Caiaphas, verse 14 says, and we're given a reminder there as to who Caiaphas was. Not only was he the high priest in verse 13, but he's also in verse 14, the one which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And we covered this while we were in John chapter 11, but I want to refresh your memory as to what Caiaphas said there. In John eleven forty seven 47 through 50, it says, Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council, and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, 
nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And so at first read, when we read what Caiaphas said, we may think, wow, he was on to something. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. He believed he was going to die for the people. No, that's not what he believes. Now, what he said was true, but what he believed was this. We'd be far better off if we just gave Rome Jesus so that all the rest of us can live. Be like if somebody came in here and said, I'll tell you what, I'll let you all live if you let me kill your pastor. And you say, take him. <laughs> Caiaphas is thinking, take him. If, if it means the rest of us living and our nation continue, we just need to give him Jesus. That's who we need to get rid of. So that's really what's on his mind. It's not that he's thinking Jesus is the Messiah. And this is all given to remind us, Caiaphas has one intent this night. And that's for Jesus to be found guilty in order that the Romans would put him to death. And so with Annas directing behind the scenes, this trial moves forward before Caiaphas. And that's where Jesus should have been brought in the first place. But because of the corruption, he goes before the Godfather. And I like what the Geneva Bible footnotes say. It says, quote, Christ is brought before an earthly high priest to be condemned for our blasphemies that we might be acquitted by the everlasting high priest himself. That's good. We'll look at verses 19 through 24 in just a moment, but we get some more information of what is said in this account by reading what Matthew wrote. And I'm going to read that to you. You can look along if you want. But Matthew 26 verses 59 through 68. This is what was said there in this scene. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put Him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. Then they did spit in his face, buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? We see the council wants Jesus dead for blasphemy, and for the fact they felt Jesus said, I'm going to destroy the temple. We understand Jesus was referring to His body. That if you destroy me, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days, which He did through His death, burial, and resurrection. And when we think about how is the council going to use those words to present Jesus before Pilate guilty of sedition against Rome. Well, when we understand what the temple meant, number one, the temple had become the Jews' idol. They, they worshipped that temple. That temple was elevated above God. 
In fact, Jesus is trying to deal with it in another place where he says, why would you swear to the gold? When the one who sanctifies the gold is greater than the gold itself. And so they had, they had idolized this temple. And so that enraged them. In fact, you'll remember when Jesus said that, they said, our fathers were 40 and 6 years building this temple. And you're going to build it again in three days? So the Jews, they want them dead because of that temple. And then uh, the religious Jews, uh, the council, I should say. And if, if they're going to present Jesus before Pilate, well, how is he guilty of anything here? Well, that temple had become a fortification. It was Herod the Great who had spent all those years fortifying the temple. But he wasn't great. I mean, he wasn't a great man, but he's called Herod the Great. And he fortifies the temple. And even there on the Temple Mount, he erected the Tower of uh, Antonia, which he named in honor of Mark Anthony, uh, a Roman general. And so it became a fortress. It became a garrison. That's where, these Roman, that's where this Roman band came from. They were stationed up there. Remember that the Garden of Gethsemane, it's just down the hill from the Temple Mount. And so that whole area had become a fortification for the Romans. It was their stronghold. And so the Jews, they're concerned because that was their idolatry. But the Romans now, they're going to sit up and they're going to take notice and say, wait a minute, you're not destroying our, our, our fortification. You're not destroying our, our stronghold. And so now they're, they're going to look at this and go, wait a minute, there's somebody threatening us now. Remember, that's the only reason Rome's going to care. Are we being threatened? Therefore, any who would dare topple the temple must be some kind of a king who's leading some kind of a rebellion. So we've got some, we've got some issues here with this temple. Now, verses 19 through 23, again, it says, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? So they want to know of Jesus' doctrine. Jesus said, ask those that I've spoken to. I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogues. I, I taught where the Jews resort. I've said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me? Why don't you ask those that I have talked to? Ask them what I have said. And, and by the way, it's not Jesus' responsibility to prove His innocence. It's their responsibility to prove His guilt. But of course, this trial, it's a farce to begin with. Jesus' response wasn't well received. We see that one of the officers slaps Jesus. Can you just imagine that scene? Jesus here has done nothing wrong. He says as much in verse 23. But remember what Jesus said to His disciples in John 16 too. He said, They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you thanketh they do God's service. And I want to tell you that what we see here in this little pocket of verses is what happens when religion is out of control. Hear me well. This is religion run amok. Religion is a man-made institution. I am a Christian. I am a Christian before I am a Baptist. 
And when religion gets out of control, this is what happens. Religion elevates man to a position he never deserves. I don't need to bow down to a guy wearing a funny hat and kiss his ring. I don't need to go into a box somewhere and ask that priest to forgive me of my sins. It's religion out of control. You say, well, you're making too much of this. Am I really? Because it led to the dark ages where millions were martyred because they refused to accept the false teaching of baptismal regeneration for babies. Or for anybody for that matter. It is a religious mindset that elevates a church above the Word of God. They've elevated the temple above who God is and who His Word was. This is why the Mormon church has said, you leave us, you're leaving the faith, and you can kiss your eternity goodbye. That's religion run amok. This is why the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bibles that tell us Christ was only a man and that He is not the way of salvation. It's religion. This is why when religion runs amok, we get different text. This is how we end up with a quote-unquote second testament of Christ. This is how we end up with catechisms that we elevate above the Word of God. This is how we end up with Holy Koran. It's religion. And I don't have a religion this morning. But I have a relationship with Almighty God. And I have the Word of God. And I don't need to monkey with it. And I don't need to toy around with it. And I don't need to try to say there's more than one way. I just need to stay faithful to the book. Religion is dangerous and it's corrupt. And it goes against the very Word of God. And I don't get mad against those who are following false teachings because that's what they were raised in or whatever, but I do sure get upset with those who are leading those places. They should know better. No wonder Jesus railed against the religious institution of His day. Matthew 23, 13, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And that's the danger of religion. It says you're okay when you're not. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Religion can make you look good on the outside, but it cannot take care of the inside. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, my God doesn't send people to hell. What are you going to do with that verse? By the way, you send yourself by rejecting the only begotten Son of God. And listen to me, parents, grandparents, don't you ever be guilty of looking at your child and say, well, at least they're going to church somewhere. Wait a minute, where are they going? What kind of doctrine are they caught up in? 
Are they going down the road that says you have to speak in an unknown tongue in order to know that you have the Spirit dwelling within you? Are they going somewhere which says you're going to have to work your way to heaven? Are they going somewhere that says you've got to be baptized to be saved? No, it's not, not, it's not enough just to enter the doors of some place and say, well, thank God they're going somewhere. Is it true Christianity or is it a man-made religion? It can say church on the outside and be a man-made religion. Unfortunately, there are far too many churches that have conformed God into their image and says what I just said. God would never do that. Oh, then you've got a different God of this Bible. That's good. Now, I want to close real quick with this thought. Jesus is our example in all things. Amen? And He spoke openly to the world. He spoke of His Father's doctrine. He spoke at these religious institutions. He spoke openly. He said nothing in secret. He was so open in spreading the gospel that He could confidently say, Ask them which heard Me. Behold, they know what I said. And I believe I've made this point from this text before in passing in another message, but now that we're here, let me say it again. Can this be said of you? Can someone go to your friends? Can somebody go to your acquaintances? Can somebody go to your classmates? Can they go to them and can they say what you believe about salvation? Better yet, can they say what the Bible says about it? Listen, we don't need incognito Christians. But we need Christians who will openly proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. When was the last time you witnessed to someone? When was the last time you told somebody of their need of Christ? Let's take it down a notch. When was the last time you've invited somebody to church? You understand these empty chairs are a rebuke to us. Are you going about the Father's business? And listen, teenagers, you're not off the hook. Jesus, from the age of 12, looked at His parents and said, I must be about my Father's business. Does your school know what you believe? Are you faithful to proclaim the gospel? There's a mission field out here in Rapid City. And it is white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Who's going to go to them? As the song says, tell me, brother, why not you? May we be a church. Openly proclaims the gospel, not ugly, not rude, but lets people know what the Word of God says about Christ and His salvation. Let's be that kind of church. To where if we're on trial one day, why don't you go ask rapid what I think? Amen. Let's pray.